0: Oh father thank you so much um thank you f- so much for your grace thank you so much for your mercy thank you so much for your blessing thank you so much for you father we thank you for your provision thank you that you're a good father And I just pray this morning that the words that I speak that are from you would be received and planted in the soil of our hearts so that it might bear good fruit, and the words that are mine would fall to the floor and be forgotten, so that all they remember is a good message. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I, uh This is going to be part two of what love. what's love got to do with it. If you haven't listened to part one, I encourage you to listen to it once it's online because <laughs> it's not online yet. But um, I, uh, I actually wanted to just share, I'm, I've been humbled. You know, um, I, I hear a lot, Not. I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but I hear a lot Good message, you know people tell me that a lot, which should happen because I pray for that. You know, I could give a bad message, you guys wouldn't know the Lord's blessing me, you'll just forget it and go that was a good message. but really, what um every leader, teacher wants to hear isn't so much good message, though that's nice. What they want to hear is, hey. I took your message. I took what you taught and I applied it. And I was um very humbled and I've been humbled and and to to have people come up to me and tell me how they've applied the message. And so I just wanted to thank you guys just to share that um that is one of the coolest things to hear. Hey, I I listened to your message and I rekindled a relationship that I let go doormat because of all the political stuff and our different views, but I rekindled that relationship. Hey, I deliberately um, interacted with someone whose attitude stinks and I made sure I was going to be around that person reflecting God's love to them. Because that's what the message was about. That's what I was trying to get at, you see. We talked about God being love, Jesus being the perfect representation of the Father, so Jesus is love, and we are going through a process called sanctification, which is being made more and more like Jesus, so we are being made more and more like love. We talked about the rule of law versus the law of love, and that God gives us a choice. We can choose the law or we can choose love. And whatever we choose, we are judged by. And how it's almost always preferable to to choose love. Because we can't achieve the law at all. It's unachievable. That's the point of it. But if we choose that, we are judged under that. The thing that we are told we can't achieve. But if we choose love, grace comes from God when we choose love. And we are enabled to be love and to reflect love. And love, the law of love, actually becomes achievable because of the Holy Spirit in us. We talked about how in the last days, love would grow cold in people. And how so our greatest testimony, then, is actually that we love because we are in a time where that is a commodity. It's unique, it's different, and our actual testimony, our witness becomes love, not judgment, not perfection, love. And I think that's really important because like I said, God put me here and I'm not gonna leave until God says turn the page, but the whole point about this message and these principles is there's a wave coming And we are choosing individually, hopefully, and corporately to go out to where the wave is and to prepare for it so that when it comes, we're ready. And so every time I've come up here, I'm talking to God, receiving from God, sharing with the purpose of get ready, be prepared, get prepared for this wave. Because I don't want to miss it. And I want to get as much of it as we can. But that can be tough, and it can be hard, and you can get discouraged, and, and I understand that. And I was actually um, going through a little bit of a rough patch, having to really, you know, the places where you just have to stand and resist and go, you know, I know the truth, and I know what you're saying, Lord, and I'm going to trust you even though this doesn't look like it, and this feels crappy, and this sucks. I'm going to stand in trust. And my wife, who's amazing, She went to um, this worship intercessor time hosted by Ann Tubbs, who, by the way, Ann Tubbs, wife of Mark Tubbs, who will be here October 9th, so mark your calendars. Uh, Alyssa was invited to come and lead worship for about an hour at this intercessor worship time. And they ended up praying for her, and she recorded it, and she sent it to me, and she sent it to me going, "I, I think you need to be encouraged, so here. Here's what was prayed over us and over our church. And I just want to share um, two words that stood out to me that I felt was really should be shared corporately. And the first one was there was a word about sand being blown out of this neighborhood. And the sand represented man's ideas and man's solutions man's attempt to meet their own need. And it was being blown away and it was being revealed was the bedrock, the cornerstone. That's God, that's God's love, that's our identity in Jesus. And it was being blown away and healing was coming as that was happening, yeah. And I said, yes, Lord just blow through this neighborhood, blow through our lives. Get the grit out of our eyes, dust the dirt off our shoulders, Father. Show us the bedrock truth we're standing on. That's the salvation and the redemption and the healing for us and for this neighborhood. The other one that I really, really liked, because it's always good when someone that you don't know confirms something you've heard. The other one was there's a wave coming, there's a flood coming. Prepare, prepare, prepare. There's a flood about to come through your doors, a flood of people that need shepherds to walk with them outside of the doors. Prepare, prepare, prepare. It is not far off. Yeah, we believe, we say yes to that, we say yes to that, prepare, prepare, prepare. Mm. So that's what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about love. We talked about all of that stuff in the first part. God is love, so we are to be love. We should be choosing love over the law and that our best testimony in this time is our love. So let's talk about what love is then. There's a very famous chapter in the Bible, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. It has a very um, good name. Most of us know it as the Love, chapter. <laughs> but what I found interesting as I was preparing for this message um, was First Corinthians 12, which is also a really important and really well-known and really quoted chapter. It's very interesting that those two chapters are probably some of the most preached on, read, taught on chapters in the Bible. And they're boom, boom, right next to each other. 12, 13. You see 12 is one of the three places where you get a list of the gifts the charismatic gifts Romans 12 1st Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 those are the three places in the Bible you see one the more complete list of gifts but 1st Corinthians 12 also has one of the best analogies for the for the unity and fellowship of the church where the body of Christ And I love how it starts. Most of your Bibles will say, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, will say, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, uh, if you have a really good translation, you'd see that and you'd see gifts is italicized. Or there's some um, footnote marker after gifts. And the reason that's there is because that word is actually added. It's not in the original language they added gifts what it actually says is concerning the spirit or concerning the spiritual now concerning the spirit brothers and sisters i do not want you to be unaware you know that you were pagans that w- uh, that when you were pagans you were led astray to meet idols however you were led therefore i make known to you that no one is speaking by the Spirit of God, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he's talking to the Gentiles, he's talking to people, and he goes, I don't want you to be ignorant of the spiritual, because you have all this training and you have this practice of your religions, of these deaf idols, and so I want to teach you about this. And he goes on to talk about, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's a whole sermon all on its own. For no, uh, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, another the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another... Um, the effecting of miracles into another prophecy, into another distinguishing of spirits and various tongues, into another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same spirit works all these things distributed to each one individually just as he wills." Right? So he goes, I don't want you to be ignorant of the spirit, it is one spirit who has many manifestations. Everyone is given a unique, to them, we'll just say this way, gift mix, a unique empowering but it 's all the same spirit, and then he lists various manifestations i don 't think this is a complete list by the way, but he he says oh there's words of knowledge there's words of wisdom there's prophecy there's miracles there 's faith but it 's all one spirit, and the spirit wills who gets it The spirit determines all of that and then he goes into this amazing analogy of the body for just as The body is one, and yet has many parts, and all parts of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one part, but many. And it goes on to, if the foot wants to leave the body, how can it do that? Or if the body can't just be one whole eye, because who would hear? And the body just can't be one big ear, because who would see? Right? This is a very common one. And it talks about how we interact and react with the body and how there are weaker aspects of the body. And then he kind of says an interesting thing, there's weaker parts of the body or there's parts of the body we deem weaker. He goes, they seem less presentable. Not that they are, they seem. So that's very interesting, there's weaker parts of the body but there's also parts of the body that we might disdain. Which I love that concept. Because there's parts of our body that we go, there's no reason for that or that's silly, but then you find out it's actually really important. You know, you have the small, you, your, your ear is made up of all these small bones and these little things and if something goes wrong with them, it's hard to walk straight. It actually is very integral to our balance, these little bones in our ear and if we lose that, it's actually hard to walk straight. So we might think it's silly and weak, and, and it is weak. They're small, tiny bones, but they're super necessary. If you get your little toe cut off, you'll have a hard time walking. Isn't that weird? You look at it and go, it's, it almost seems like a worthless appendage, but if it's gone, you'll struggle. And it says, because of that, we should be aware of that, and because we are many parts, but one body, when one part of the body gets honored, we should all rejoice. Right? And when one part suffers, we should all suffer because we're one, okay? And then he goes on again, and and he goes, now you are all, in verse 27, you are all Christ's body and individually parts of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then the gifts of healing, helps, administration, various tongues, And he goes on in verse 30. All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I'm going to show you a far better way. And then we dive into chapter 13. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we let the... Uh, interpreters determine how we read. And so it's very strange and you'll see this and there's books like Corinthians and Romans where you have to sometimes ignore the chapters because they actually decided for whatever reason to put a chapter break in the middle of a thought. And our brains are built so that when we're reading it we go okay that's the end of the chapter. We're trained to kind of go when the chapter ends That's all the ideas in that chapter. And now I'm starting a new thing with a new set of ideas. But in here, Paul isn't doing that. Paul is flowing right into it. So it ends with, and yet I'm going to show you a better way. And it flows into, if I speak with tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. one chapter he says earnestly desire these gifts he lists them twice in the chapter he lists how important and awesome and cool they are and he goes earnestly desire them but there is a better way and he says you can have all those gifts but if you don't have love it's worthless and then he goes you can have all those gifts but if you don't have love it does you no good i used to um comment that I just I don't understand how non-charismatic churches function. Because I just can't imagine. My, most, of, most of my Christian walk has been in a charismatic or charismatic-leaning church. I was introduced to the gifts relatively early in my walk. I've never had to struggle with They don't exist. I remember the first time I ran into Christians who said the gifts don't exist. They're not for today. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Why do you think that? I just prophesied last week. Like, what are you talking about they're not for today? But I also used to just go, how do non-charismatic Christians function with the Holy Spirit? Because I can't imagine living my life and uh, walking the path of sanctification without a belief in a super present, super active, super powerful Holy Spirit helping me. I just can't imagine it. And he said, "Go! I just don't. I don't. I don't have the willpower. Like I need the Holy Spirit." And so, it just blew my mind. Now I grew up and I got, I became more mature and I realized that just because they don't believe in the whiz bang firework Holy Spirit doesn't mean that they don't believe in a crazy active Holy Spirit. But when I read this, I just cracked up because I'm like, that's how the church could survive even though the gifts have been sidelined for hundreds of years. That's how the church survives even when uh, you know, you have mega churches who are reaching thousands of people. You have small community churches that are doing really good, important work that don't believe in the charismatic gifts. That's how they function because the charismatic gifts are great, but there's a better way, there's a higher way, and that way is love. If you go to the end of 1 Corinthians 13, which is verse 13, But now faith, hope, and love remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I just wanted to point that out, because I think sometimes, as charismatic churches, we lose sight, because we're so excited by by the gifts, and we see the charismatic gift effectiveness and the power and sometimes we get like full of ourselves with the gifts and we think I know you want a sandwich but I'll give you a prophetic word and that's just as good and do you know what if you're hungry for a sandwich unless that prophetic word is someone's about to come and give you a sandwich it's not just as good and I love the gifts. I love the gifts. But we need to understand the gifts serve love. The gifts aren't the point. So what is love? Well, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked, does not keep an account of wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. Your translations might say it covers everything. It believes in things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never Fails. Now let's talk about love, because we have a mixed up idea of love in general. First off, love is not an emotion. I think most of us have probably heard that enough times. Especially from a Christian perspective, you'll hear that, especially if you did premarital counseling or went to a, a, you know, a wedding class, you know, seminar, workshop, or even got counseling, you'll hear this. Love is not an emotion. Emotions come and go. Love is a decision. It's a choice. We hear that. I think sometimes we have a hard time getting it. Because society tells us love is an emotion. And we use love as an emotion word. Did you know love isn't an emotion? If you ever see it in a list of emotions, it's wrong. Because if you said, I'm in love with you, what are you actually saying? If I said define that, and in fact, my education in love started really early. I remember I was dating my wife, and we were... Way too early in the relationship for this. I mean, we had what day? three months, two months? Six months. Was it a year? Did I, It was a year, really? Okay, so it was a year. We're sitting on the couch after church. I think our hands are touching. Oh my. And I just, I just felt this feeling, you know, just well up. You know, that, that feeling felt like it was in my stomach and just filled my chest. And I just, I looked at Alyssa and I just said, I love you. First time I said, I love you. And I'm feeling this feeling and I'm thinking, and in my head I'm thinking, she's going to melt. Because it's the first time we've been dating apparently a year. We're touching hands. She's going to melt. And I said I love you. And she looked at me and she said, what does that mean? (laughs) Yeah. And I said, "Uh, um, uh, I don't know. And I looked and I watched TV and an awkward silence. What does that mean? What did I mean? Well, if I had to be honest, I was sitting there, I looked at her, and I thought, she's so pretty. I like hanging out with her. I'll be honest with you, I was a teenager, we were touching hands. There were some other thoughts, too. None of that was love, it was affection, it was enjoyment. There was maybe a little lust in there, not love. There were other emotions I labeled love. Because that's what we do. There's other emotions we label love. There's affection. There's pride. There's um, enjoyment. There's fun, right? And we label all of those love. The problem is when we label those emotions love, when those emotions ebb, we go, oh, I'm not feeling love anymore. Well, you're not supposed to it's an emotion. Emotions come and go. You know, I I feel affection for my kids until they hit me for no reason. Right? I'm so proud of my children until they do something boneheaded in public. Cuz it's an emotion. So emotions come and go. So we can't sit there and go love is an emotion. It's not. There is Feelings that we equate with love, that are emotion, that are good, and we can foster them. But that's not what love is. There's two main words in the Bible for love. Does anyone know what they are? Eros isn't in the Bible that much. Agape. That's one of them. Eros is a a word for love. Eros is typically more of the physical love. Agape, I'm talking about New Testament, by the way. There's Hebrew has tons of other words. Huh? Phileo. Where, hmm? Brotherly love. Phileo, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Now, it's funny. We say brotherly love because we're sexist, and the Bible's a little sexist because it focuses on the guys, and so we translate it as brotherly love. Um, You know, it is a um, male word and all that. But it actually, you can say phileo means relational love. So the love I'd have for a brother, for a friend, for a sister. The other word is agape. Now, we translate agape as unconditional love. And we do that for one simple reason. In the New Testament, Every time you see agape, it is referring to the ideal love or is referring to God's love. And so because we see that it's referring to God's love, we throw unconditional on it, which is 100% true. God's love is unconditional. But what agape um, means in a deeper sense is actually intentional love, choice. Phileo is the more relational. It's the more emotional love. And there's a place for that with God. So it isn't like one is good and one is bad. There's a place for it in God. In fact, you know, there's that time where um, God, Jesus, asks Peter if he loves him, and he asks him three times, and Peter responds three times. And it's a confusing um, passage if you're reading it because Peter's upset. Like, he gets upset, and you're like, why is Jesus asking this question three times? And then suddenly it's okay. Like, it's just confusing. Well, if you look at the original language, Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter goes, Lord, I phileo you. And, he, and Jesus goes, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. And then Jesus goes, do you phileo me? you relationally love me? And Peter says, I phileo you, I relationally love you. And so there's a place for that. Because Jesus was hurt. Jesus was like, why would Jesus, P- Peter was hurt. Peter was like, why would you ask if I choose to love you? I love you like a brother. That was like his response. I love you like a brother. Why are you being a little distant with me, Jesus? That's why he's re- twice, no, I don't, I don't Agape you, I phileo you, I relationally love you, I know you. So there's totally that relational love with God, don't don't get me wrong. But we don't have that relational love with everybody. Right? And I don't think we're ever called to have that relational love with everybody. But we all called to have that agape love. And so in this chapter, it's all agape. Every time love, is said in this chant, it's said a lot in 1 Corinthians 13, it's agape, which actually early on, like if you have an, a, an old King James version, they translated it as charity because it, it was so, it's intentional love with action. So it actually got translated in King James way back when as charity. So when you read love is patient, Love is kind, you should replace is with chooses to, so love chooses to be patient, love chooses to be kind, love chooses to not be jealous, it chooses to not brag or be arrogant, it does not act disgracefully, it chooses not to act disgracefully, it chooses not to seek its own benefit. It's an intentional decision we make and it's how we're supposed to view everyone. That's why we can love our enemy. Because I can choose to be patient with my enemy. I can choose to not be provoked by my enemy. I can choose to ignore, not keep an I shouldn't say ignore. That's the wrong word. And we'll talk about that in some other message, probably. So ignore is the wrong word. But I can choose to not keep a record of wrong. Meaning I will not hold how you've wronged me against you. Just like God doesn't for us. When I was younger, I used to hear this from my children's pastor. You don't have to like everybody, but you have to love everybody. And I hated that. Because I'm like, that's impossible. That's impossible. And I still, to this day, don't like that statement. I think it gives it too much of an excuse for people not to try. Because what I've discovered is I can get along with most anybody, I can get along with most anybody. Everybody has a story, everybody has something that's interesting, I can have a conversation with anybody, I can make a joke with anybody, just about. There are some people, but most of the time it's their fault, not mine. (laughs) But that kind of like versus love would be the difference between that relational love and that intentional love of agape. And so I agree with it in that point. I'm not supposed to have, not everybody isn't supposed to be my best friend. I have a couple of best friends in a different, in a couple of different contexts. But I'm supposed to love everyone. I'm supposed to treat everyone with respect. I'm supposed to treat everyone, um, I'm supposed to put everyone ahead of myself in terms of service and making sure that, you know, are your needs being met? and not look out for myself. And we have to learn this behavior. It's a choice that we make and we learn to do that. So we have to choose love and not just rely on emotions. It's easy to be friends with someone who likes me. It's hard to, to show respect to someone that's not acting respectable. And so I said, man, when we really start understanding this, it, it really challenges things. And my, I've been, for, for several years now, been being challenged on so many things, and it all comes down to, what are you letting get in the way of your love? I have an interesting theory that I've said a couple times and I think some I've gotten some people upset about it. I don't like to use the words good and evil, per se. God is good. I like saying it in that context, God is good. But I don't like to say evil because when we label something as evil, we kind of shut off love because it's evil. You know, you know what I mean? We can judge something so that we don't have to love it. And I was sharing with Alyssa the other day, I like righteous and unrighteous a lot better than good versus evil. You know, the world is unrighteous because they don't have Jesus. I don't necessarily think the world is evil in the popular definition. I think it's fallen and needs to be redeemed. But I believe good comes out of the world. I believe that because the Bible says even an evil man gives good gifts and can do good things. So I realized when I'm starting to internalize love and love being a choice, I'm starting to realize the things in me that I've allowed block love. And one of those things is I've labeled things as evil. Because when I label it as evil, I go, it's beyond redemption. And if it's beyond redemption, I don't have to try. I've labeled people as stuck. God told me something that blew my mind. Most people's sin doesn't affect me. Did you realize that? Most people's sin doesn't affect you. Like, there is the times when it does, like, if someone steals from you, their sin affected you. But a lot of the time, most people's sin doesn't affect you but we let it affect us. Oh, I know you have a problem. You can be over there. And I will be over here. And when you deal with that problem, then we can be next to each other. We shared at home group about the religious spirit, and Charlie was like, have you ever seen that, Miko? So I'm like everywhere. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh, but I do. And I say it's because we fundamentally forgot our primary purpose is to embrace the sinner. And instead, we push the sinner away because we have this mistaken belief that their sin is somehow a disease that I can catch. Well, I have some bad news for you. You all are sick already. You can't catch what you got. And I get this nuance. Some of you might even be going, whoa, I can think of some things. I get it. I'm talking generalities. Let me say this. There's a couple of hot-button issues, hot-button sins that the church gets really riled up about. Those ones don't affect you in so many ways. I stop caring if someone identifies as LGBTQ. It isn't catching. And guess what? Those kind of sins the Bible says are really destructive to the person, not to me. So that doesn't become an excuse to not love them anymore. That doesn't become an excuse to keep them away because I realize you're the one being damaged by this. You need love. I need to draw closer to you not push you away until you figure it out that it's wrong, right? I just challenge you guys, love is a choice. Because it's a choice, you have to let God examine you and tell you where are you blocking that choice. What excuses have you put in yourself to go, I don't have to love that person? That's not my ministry. I don't have joy in that. That's out of my way. He'll spend it on drugs. She doesn't really need that. That's a scam. I'm too tired. I'm not throwing those out there willy-nilly. I've thought those things. To say, I'm not going to choose to love. Love is something. Love is something. When love becomes a choice, it has to be followed up by an action. When I choose love, action has to follow. And I don't know what that is, because I don't know the situations. It can be as simple as, I remember one time, first time I met Alyssa's grandma. Her um, her father's mother, her paternal grandma, awesome woman, had stories for days. I didn't hang out with Alyssa that day. I hung out with grandma. I didn't want to. I hadn't intended to. But I just did. And I remember one time Donna comes by and says, you don't have to listen to her, you know? She's like, you're a young kid, you're getting trapped by an old, old, old woman who wants to tell stories. You don't have to, you can go. And I said, no, 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 it's all right. It's okay. I'm choosing love. I'm going to listen to every story she has. And you know what? She liked me. See, there's a benefit when you choose love. I didn't do it to get brownie points with with Grandma Gaither, or with Alyssa, or my mother-in-law, or my father-in-law. I did it because I was showing an elderly woman respect and love, and just, I'm here to listen to you as long as you want to talk to me. Well, my mom did the same thing when my mom met her. And didn't Donna do the same thing to you, mom? You don't have to stay and listen to this. And you're like, no, it's fine. It could be as simple as that. It can be as obvious as giving somebody $5. Picking them up, doing a U-turn, because you drove past and you saw them struggling with bags and you heard the Lord say, help them. And so you do a U-turn and you pick them up. But it has to be something. We can't just sit there and say, I love you. And, huh? (laughs) Exactly. Most people will be like, thanks? That's like your best response. That's your response some other times. I asked you for a sandwich. I love you. I'm reminded about faith versus works in James. So I went to James because it, I read. But now faith, hope, and love remain. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And so I remember James talking about actions. And it's really interesting, you go to James and the first chapter of James is all about the power of the tongue. And how you need to bridle your tongue. And if you actually read in context going into chapter two, do you know what he's really talking about? He's not just talking about being mean or rude or saying things that you shouldn't. He's actually talking about over promising. Because he says, you need to bridle your tongue. And then he steps into, you need to do what you say. So be careful. You know, you're writing checks that you can't cash. Your mouth is writing checks you can't cash. I think about that with love. Just like with faith. Love needs works because love is practical. Love is something. It's not just the choice. The choice has to lead to something. That's how I know you made the choice. But prove yourself doers of the word, not just merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effective doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. What's the perfect law? What's the law of unity? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law is summed up in these two commandments. So what's the perfect law? Love, first God, then yourself, then your neighbors. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give him what is necessary for their bodies, what use is that? Love is the same way. If I say I love you, but it's not followed by loving actions, how does that person know that I love them? Love has to be practical. Alyssa and I, she tells me all the time. I go, I love you. She goes, how do I know? And I have to go down the list. We do it teasingly, it's not like a serious thing. Don't worry, we're good. But it's real, right? We've had those conversations, right? I love you. Show me. That's not selfish. That's natural. Show me. Don't just be a speaker. Be a doer. Don't just be a hearer. Be a doer. Grow excellent and effective in doing. Amen? Amen. If you take one thing away from this message, I want you to understand that First and foremost, love is a person. First and foremost, love is a person, our perfect example. He's who we pursue first. And because we pursue him, we become like him. Because we become like him, we do. We do. I wish I could be a hermit. And just pursue the Lord. And I wish there was enough. But it's not. But when we pursue him. We become more like him. It becomes actionable in our lives. That when I say I love you to someone. They feel it. Because they hear Jesus. But they also see it. I'm just going to. Preview a couple things we want to do this fall and some things we're doing, practical things. The Lord has been talking to me a lot about practical. Impractical is great. Don't get me wrong. I like impractical. Okay? I like the go do that thing. That makes no sense. Do it anyways. Okay. And a blessing comes. I love impractical. But I also love the practical. We just had food pantry yesterday. It was a good one. We gave away almost all our bags, which is always fun. The last couple times I've actually done food pantry have been really cool. The last time I did it, we had a neighbor who comes and gets a bag for another neighbor who has broken leg and can't get out, which is an amazing thing. But she comes and she shares that she's being tormented. And so we pray for her. Gloria, I, and mom pray for her. Gloria gives her amazing biblical counsel, by the way, just amazing biblical counsel, and then we pray for her, and she receives it. That's awesome. But last day, meaning yesterday, one of the last people came through, and he was new, never seen him. And I said, how'd you hear about us? And he goes, I saw your sign. I said, great. And he goes, so how's this work? And so we go, oh, well, we have a bag of food prepared, but we also have household items that you can shop for. And I just talked to mom about this, so I was able to tell him, it's just our desire to help stretch your household dollars. We just want to help you. You know, that's great. And so he does the list, and he gets a bag for him and, and his neighbor that was in the car with him. And then when we go in to give him the bag he's sharing, he goes, yeah, I'm on a real fixed income. I only get $600 a month from Social Security because I took care of my father because he had a stroke. So there was many years where I didn't work and then I hit retirement and this was all I could get. So this helps. And I said, that's genuinely what we're here for to bless you, to stretch your dollars, which is even more important now with inflation and prices going up, it's even more important. So to be able to say, here, you don't have to worry about food. He even said, I don't have to worry about dinner tonight. And I said, this is why we're doing that. That's the practical of, and he goes, do you accept donations? We said, yeah, of course. He goes, I'm coming back the next one you have and I'll have some donations for you. And we're like, thank you. You don't have to do that, of course, but thank you. That's the practical things. This October we're going to do another trunk or treat. What's practical about that? <laughs> Last year I really emphasized when we did it I said we're just blessing people. We're just saying have a happy Halloween. We're not going to be weird Christians about don't say that word and you know whatever costumes come up we're just going to say wow, we're just going to love people and be kind and be generous. And two things happened last year that was amazing. One, you guys were so generous. I still have bags of candy. <laughs> so generous, which by the way, I'll need some more, because we want to do more cars this year. But so generous. So that was awesome. But then also seeing uh, Charlie and Lori, Gary and Dana, and myself out there with our cars, and other people volunteering, bringing out hot cocoa, bringing out coffee, and just saying, wow, and hi, and just getting to know people. We had so many so many people just come through. It was awesome. And the, oh, it's so great you're doing this. This neighborhood doesn't have something like this. It's great that you're doing it early for the young kids. And we stayed out there later for the older people. So the costumes went from cute to a little weird. <laughs> but it was great because. There was no judgment. I was like, don't be judgmental about any costume. I don't care if it's a killer clown from Mars. I don't care how satanic it looks. Just happy Halloween, hope you have a great night, be safe. And we just got to project the heart of this church to the community. Just, we love you, here's some candy. So we're gonna be redoing that. This year, through the pantry, we want to do Thanksgiving boxes. We want to be practical, we want to say, hey, if you don't, if you're not going to be able to afford a Thanksgiving dinner, we want to, to give you a box that has the basics, a turkey or a turkey breast, you know, cranberry sauce, just the basics. If you can't do a Thanksgiving dinner, we just want to bless you. And So we're going to be working on that, we're going to be working on getting donations hopefully from some stores, but also any donations you guys would like to provide, we're going to be doing that. Just a way to practically show our neighborhood, hey, we love you. And this is a hard time, and Thanksgiving can be a hard time. Because sometimes you can't afford it, and that can be a shame thing. And then lastly, this Christmas, we want to do a giving tree out there. Again, just practical ways, we want to have a giving tree we want to connect with a ministry, and so we can give gifts for kids that wouldn't have a gift, or it'd be hard for their parents to give them a gift this year. Just to go, we love you. Cause love looks like something, amen. So just keep keep that in mind to be praying, and we'll let you know as they get closer how you guys can partner with us more in those areas. But that's just I was. This, we were, you know, we were praying this month about moving forward into the fall and things we can do. And we have stuff lined up that is exciting. and uh, We'll talk about those more. It's more than just those three things. Um, but I did want to highlight some of the practical ways that we're going to try and partner to show practical love to the community. To go, you're hungry, here's some food. You're lonely, here's a smiling face. We're not going to judge you, right? All right. So, Father, show us. Show us the ways that we've been creating labels and excuses that allow us to not choose love. Father, show us the grains of sand that we've been accepting as truth that aren't. Blow through our hearts, blow through our minds, as we lift you higher, as we put you back on the throne, as we say that you're our bedrock, show us those places that that isn't true and just blow through and just blow it away. Father, thank you for this community. I just got this picture of us just brushing the dirt off our shoulders, brushing the annoyances away brushing the lies, brushing those excuses we have just dirt off our shoulder. And I saw us doing it for each other because we had had trust in each other. You love me, and so I know that you're not being judgmental when you brush dirt off my shoulder. It's not some backwards way of pointing out a flaw. It's, It's genuinely to help me. Father, thank you for the community you're building here. Thank you that we are wanting to be prepared for what you're doing. Father, I just speak to anyone whose shame is holding them back. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and there's no condemnation in this house. And so I just say no to any shame that's keeping us trapped, that makes us feel like we can't step out or step forward. Father, I say no to any place in us that we are rejecting your love, any place of our identity that we are accepting lies that make it difficult for us to hear you say, I love you, daughter. I love you, son. Father, we just reject the lie that says we've gone too far and there's no turning back. We reject the lie that says I'm too close to the end, it wouldn't be worth it. We reject the lie that says there's a retirement age. Father, I thank you for your spirit of truth. Where the spirit of truth is, there is freedom. And so, Father, we just say shine your light on us and show us your truth over us. In Jesus' name, amen. If any of you guys want any prayer for anything, I will be up here and would be happy to pray for you.